Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacob with the Future Tech Podcast. Uh, my guest today is Stephen Sprague, CEO of Rivet. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So would you tell listeners what does Rivet do? Uh, so Rivet is a company that is focused on leveraging the hardware security that's already in your devices. Um, so in the chipset of your phone and um, on your PCs, in the actual processor, there is the ability to store and process code that is isolated from the operating system. And we build the software and tools to expose that and, uh, and use it so that we can build you a hardware wallet um, and a number of other capabilities directly within the processor security um, on your device. Wait, so, does, so I have an Android phone. You know, people have iPhones. Are you saying like within my phone, are there chips that are not being used? Or what, how do you use my That's phone's own hardware to, to do this? So about 10 years ago, ARM began the process of integrating into their design of processor chips, the ability to run a second operating system in the silicon that was separated from the primary OS to do what's called trusted execution. These technologies um, used to be extremely hard to gain access to because you had to do a deal with individual manufacturers. Four years ago, a joint venture was put together by Arm and Jamalta, one of the big SIM chip companies, that allow us now to program that capability over the air. And so Rivets has um, secured a relationship with one of the leading trusted execution operating systems. And what that makes possible is today on, let's see, they, they, just, they just said they passed their billionth phone ship. So um, they're probably wow. 700 million active phones, um, primarily Android, where we can um, over the air provision a small amount of code directly into the main processor that allows us to hide and process secret um, really in a second operating system independent of Android. And this is a technology that was de developed by the payment industry over a number of years. Um, it's also there for a variety of other security reasons in your phone. Um, so it's, for example, how Samsung Pay secures their payment mechanism if you have a Samsung phone. Um, the capability is in iOS phones as well. It's what Apple calls a secure enclave, um, but Apple doesn't make it possible for any third-party developers to build apps within the trusted execution environment. And a similar capability also exists on the Intel chips since 2016. Um, Intel's begun incorporating trusted execution in the Intel processor architecture as well. Um, but today, Rivets is focused purely on the ARM-based, Android-based um, ecosystem to start with. All right, so we'll get more into 
Rivet specifically in a minute, but mm-hmm. what, so what's happening on my phone right now, do you think? Are other people running stuff on the phone I don't even know about, and malicious actors co-opt your phone or use it to do things? Well, so no, this is a this is kind of a completely different software distribution model. Um, this was originally developed for the banking system, although it's been made more open now. Uh, so there are no unknown software developers. Most likely, it's not doing anything on your phone. It's most likely idle. If your phone has a biometric sensor on it, it's possible that the trusted execution environment is used to uh, do the actual match of your biometric. Some of the phones um, accomplish that. Um, if you have a Samsung phone, it's most likely also running Samsung Pay or Samsung Knox environment is also leveraging trusted execution. It's been very difficult to gain access to this technology. You have to go become a permissioned provider. Uh, and the development of code that runs in this isolated execution is not so simple um, because it's a very small amount of code and it runs in hidden execution. So debugging it is actually quite sportingly good fun um, because you can't see where it executes intentionally. And so Rivets has been doing this since uh, 2014. Uh, we built some of our first apps, our first blockchain applications. And, and we did a very important transaction last October where we performed a transaction in the trust execution environment and incorporated a test to make sur- sure the trust execution is performing correctly. And then when we actually wrote a transaction in the blockchain, we record that test and the, val- the validity that the device is running in a good condition. And so now we can actually, when we look at a blockchain um, transaction, we can prove that a specific device in a specific condition executed that transaction and the, the private keys were held in hardware. So what is this like from the uh, user experience point of view? What, what is it like when, if, I, if I have your software on my phone? Sure. When, when strong security is um, implemented well, it should be close to invisible. And, and I can use um, an example. It doesn't use trusted execution, but it's certainly something every user is familiar with. Um, most of us are now being trained on some aspect of multi-factor authentication. You know, you get a six-digit code SMS to you, or you've plugged an authenticator in, or you've done, you know, there are a variety of different schemes in two-factor authentication. But your favorite form of two-factor authentication is dial your phone number and push the send button. And when you push the send button, a very complicated transaction is done by the SIM chip that secures your relationship with the carrier. What we're doing at Rivets is we're duplicating that type of model, but instead of using the SIM chip, we're using the trusted execution environment so that every app developer could have the same style of security that you get from the separated SIM chip, but embedded in their app. So in most cases, I think the initial reaction that users will have is um, perform a transaction, then get a confirmation that a transit, you know, to approve that a transaction is being performed on your behalf. And would you like to release, you know, approval of that transaction? And so it's a little bit fancier than just a pure two-factor authentication. We actually believe that you should also be able to see things like the amount that you're spending or the account you're sending it to. So you can confirm that what you sent from your PC or your phone um, is actually the transaction that you're then going to confirm is going to be sent. Uh, and so we're focused on and how do we deliver that experience very in, a, in the early days in a very simple way? We build a developer toolkit. So ultimately, um, third-party applications on your device could build the security directly in, at which point it should be close to invisible for you. Why is this potentially more secure than uh, regular two-factor authentication? So the pro- well, so it depends on the different mechanisms. So let's look at the, the sort of collection of them. For SMS-based two-factor authentication, where I SMS a code to you, the problem we've learned is that um, 
people are able to steal your phone number from the carrier because uh, the mm. carrier doesn't protect it very well. And so um, that's kind of intentional because they want to be, you know, their, their problem they're solving is, oh, my God, I lost my phone. I need a new phone. I need it in an hour. <laughs> and, and, and so they want to make it easy for you to move your number to a new phone. Um, they weren't building it for security purposes because, you know, who's going to steal your phone so they can answer your phone calls. Um, but now SMS has created a problem there. So actually, the U.S. federal government just recommended that you stop using SMS two-factor authentication as of uh, their guidance came out on June 22nd. Huh. The next is you could download something like a Google Authenticator. Um, and the Google Authenticator has keys that are held in the handset, but they're held in the Android operating system. And for the same reasons you can't protect keys in like Snapchat or other services, you can write malware that will steal the keys um, within an operating system. And so those things are also at risk. You know, if I click on the long, wrong attachment, I download something or I download the wrong app into my phone, um, there are lots of different ways where keys could be stolen out of your operating system. And we've all known that for years, right? You can't hide a secret in an OS and feel comfortable that it's protected. Um, and so what this provides is a hardware protection of the keys where no amount of malware on the operating system will be able to steal the keys from the hardware on the device. And, and so this is intended by the industry to be a software tamper proof, meaning software can't break it, hardware tamper resistant, meaning if I you know, have your phone and a half million dollar lab and, and a few months, maybe I can actually extract the secrets out of your phone. Um, but we're talking you know, tens of thousands of dollars to accomplish that purpose. Uh, so I think you can in most cases think of this like, as... Um, can you picture this as a pretty like good a vault. tiny little phone or a tiny little chip that's your private keys, and then when you want to um, move money out of your wallet, it queries the chip itself? Exactly. Um, oh. and, and, okay. and so, you know, now we can finally both construct the instruction for something like blockchain or, or, const or verify an instruction in the two-factor authentication. Um, and so, you know, we think of this in the context of blockchain. We've done some interesting work in the blockchain space, but this has just as much application to log you into your Google account or, or to send an instruction to an Internet of Things or, you know, where am I going to hold the keys for my Ferrari on my phone or my dorm room, you know, my hotel room at the Marriott. You, you want a safe place in this hostile territory of a phone um, to store keys that the user's in control of. You said also it can uniquely identify that only that, it, it, so I do a transaction, it can tell me that it literally is that chip that verified the transaction, it, it locks in where the transaction could only come from, right? Correct. Yeah, well, so this is a unique innovation for, for Rivets. Um, we've taken some of the industry standards in the trusted computing group and applied them at a transactional level. And so what we're fundamentally doing is a very simple test we take a health test. We have the, the, the cryptography of the hardware of the device inspect the hardware, and it creates a reference health test. And we can store that on a blockchain where it won't change. And then at a future date, you can perform a real-time test of that device. And if the real-time test matches the reference, then the device's measured components haven't changed. And so that provides wow. a really important thing, which is a cybersecurity control on a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer transaction. And when we were building this research project, what we discovered was 
that we could have the trust agent not only just check the internals of the phone, but it could ask, for example, some of the phone's management tools or some external services the phone is attached to, things like, you know, where am I? And ask the carrier, where is this phone? Or or ask the the company's management infrastructure, is this person still an employee? And we can incorporate those um, pieces of information into that health as well. And so a great example of that would be have the trust agent ask the enterprise, does this phone have data encryption installed? And then before you're allowed to connect to the health system with the million patient records on it, it'll only connect if the device has approved data encryption. So we don't have the risk that you download, you know, tens of thousands of records onto a device that doesn't have the ability to keep them safe. So two questions. What happens if you lose your phone or what happens if it's stolen and the phone number is ported? What will we do in either case? So, so um, this completely protects against the problem of your phone number ported because you still have your device. We're, what we're doing has nothing related to the phone number. You actually could use one of these devices without it having a phone number um, if you wanted to. Uh, so the information held on the device is device specific, not phone number specific, not related to your SIM module. Um, and then the other question is, of course, oh my God, I lost my device. The wonderful thing about when you lose a device is the human mostly notices. Now, if you're 17 and I remove your phone, when it gets about, I don't know, 12 inches to 20 inches away from the end of your fingertips, the panic begins, right? Um, <laughs> you have and kids, and so see, that's yeah. what we're looking for. Yeah, I do. Um, and that's what we're looking for. It's like, it's actually kind of funny. You know, you set my 18 year old phone on a table behind her and, and she has a hard time eating dinner because it's no longer in her view. Um, it, oh, it's, um, you know, we, we as humans have been trained to keep track of important devices. And so when you lose your phone, and we've all had that sensation of like, oh my God, I've lost my phone. At which point it's actually kind of hard to just sort of carry on with your day um, because you've lost your phone. And, and so that's what we want is continuous monitoring without training of the cybersecurity controls for all your services. So if you lose your phone, you'll notice. And if you notice, you can take an action. And so we support things like lock all your accounts and things like that. That's relatively easy to do. That's easy to do for all sorts of services. The problem is getting the human to notice that the, the, the theft has taken place. If I steal your keys, so this morning we sent you a link on email, you clicked on the link and we stole all your keys. When do you know? You don't really know until something bad happens. Where right. if you lost your phone, you'd notice and you'd take an action like, oh my God, I lost my phone. You might've left it in the cab. And so what you wanna do is reach out, lock, your, your access from all the keys on that phone, which is easy to do. And, and, um, and, and, you know, the guy from the cab company called you and say, Hey, I have your phone. I'm going to drive by, you know, eight hours later, you get your phone back. What, what happened in the eight hours that it was gone? That's much easier for the human to control. So I, okay. If I need to lose my phone or it gets stolen, um, I can remotely uh, talk to you guys and you can lock the accounts. And then how do I authorize a new device or get them back open? So, so we think that the sort of killer model is just a simple text message that I should be able to send my phone number to a text location that will lock my phone. Um, and so I could borrow somebody else's phone and send out a text and lock my phone. Then the question right. of unlock is different as to whether I lost my phone permanently 
And so now I went to the store and bought a new phone and I want to recover all my data into a phone. And that should be much more difficult than I get my phone back, at which point all I really need to do is type in a PIN number into the trusted execution environment because I have my phone, I know the PIN number, and that would allow me to recover access to the accounts. Okay, but how does it work right now? Let's say, you know, I, my phone gets stolen, I lock it, and I got to get a new phone. How do I uh, right, so, get access? So if, you get a new, so if you get a new phone, well, so we believe that the right model is that you should have more than one device. So if you look at, you know, your phone, your PC, your tablet, that there's a recovery mechanism. And actually, I think some of the existing um, um, Bitcoin mechanisms that are out there uh, will work in the same circumstance that we have, which is when you initially establish it, you know, establish a um, paper backup copy of a core root identity key, which you could lock away somewhere. Um, and you type that in, it'll enable you to recover your device. I think the ideal world, however, is that you have a tablet, a PC, a phone, you know, a, a, a family member with another phone. And as, the, as, the, as, as those become part of a collection of devices, then you'll be able to use your PC to recover your phone or your phone to recover your PC. Because you have just the same problem if you go out and just buy a new phone. You're going to want to join it to your collection right. of devices and have a single me simple mechanism. And that can be as easy as, you know, you know, taking a picture of a QR code to move an account. Um, where you control the devices that then propagate access, and and okay, so and of course you have the basic mech yeah, and you have the basic mechanisms where every device is aware of the other devices, so you can always look at the list of devices and ask, you know, for the network to remove one of the devices if you wish, you know, so you can use one of your devices to lock or delete a device, and you can use one of your devices to recover, and so we think your collection of devices is really a better model long term how we as individuals will manage these um, these things. It's just a much simpler way. Yeah, this may seem kind of odd, but I talked to um, a company that, uh, you know, they allow you to implant little chips like RFID chips into your hand. Sure. Um, but what I thought of is, you know, with your technology, do you think that you'll be able to um, allow people to have a chip implanted, little one, and use it as a uh, crypto wallet using your technology? So we wouldn't think you would do it that way. I think if you wanted to have an RFID token embedded in you, and there are all sorts of reasons that might be a great idea or a bad idea, um, you could put it in the dog, right? That we're already doing that. And so, so you could use your <laughs> phone. You could use your phone and its NFC capability, its near-field communication capability. If it could read those chips, then, um, you know, absolutely. You could have a Bitcoin wallet where the unlock key was the dog. That'd be fantastic. Really? Like, then you lose the dog. Yeah, it'd be great. You know, you got to go find the dog to spend your money. Um, I mean, who knows, right? So the point is, is that you'd want to do the fancier computation within your mobile phone or within your PC, but having the, the other external key as part of your unlock model would be very easy to do. Yeah, because, because like, if I had, fancy again, I'm not going to want to do this, but if I have a little chip in my hand, for instance, then mm -hmm. I'm my own bank. You know, I'm not going to lose myself, hopefully, or have my hand cut off. But um, there's a great example of a company that just launched a ring where you put the ring on and it, and it actually measures your fingerprint as you put the ring on. It's very cool. And then it has an NFC token in it. And so you could use the ring as an example to be the pin to unlock your phone. That would be quite mm. slick, right? It would look sexy too, right? Because you can just touch it to your phone and, and the phone will go and, and measure your NFC and carry on. And of course, that would only yeah, work if it was on a person's hand that recognized their fingerprint. So I think there can be a whole train of how these pieces put together. The point at the end of the day is we need to make sure that the 
formation of the instruction is protected and not just pure logging you in because we're past that point where just logging you in is enough. You know, if I could just have a password, that'd be fine. But but then if I'm, let's say, spending a Bitcoin transaction, to use an example, how do I make sure that the address I type in doesn't change? And how do I make sure the amount I type in doesn't change? And if you're doing that in an app on a phone, there's no guarantee that the app hasn't been hacked and changes all those values. Okay. Right. There was a there was a great hack in Brazil of an e-commerce payment system for the government where the people all typed into their PCs what they expected and the bank account transfer numbers and the amounts and everything. And what was on the screen was correct, but the computer had a virus running in it and sent all the money to a different account and then it disappeared. Right. And they stole like money from like four thousand different companies on a Friday afternoon. It was you know, great hack. Everybody got calls on Monday, like, why didn't you send me my payment? Like I did. Yeah. Right. right. So interesting. So an instruction, a safe instruction is very much necessary for, for blockchain and for IoT, right? So like set the lights to 50%, unlock the car, um, you know, open my hotel room door, all those kinds of things. You want to have those keys protected in a tamper resistant vault so that malware can't run around and like steal all the Ferrari keys. Gotcha. Interesting. So what's your, um, your roadmap and your rollout for this technology? Is it being used? You know, how many users and what's planned sure. for the next six months? So we're, we're still in the early stages. We've been focused on sort of larger customers to begin with to help us continue to refine and develop the technology. We've done about a million dollars worth of contract work with the U.S. government. And so we've been very excited to do that. Recently, we um, received a grant from the Department of Homeland Security to support um, what's called priority service. It's the ability for your phone to um, have priority access when the network is congested. So let's say there's a hurricane and everybody's trying to call mom and the networks are running it at 50% capacity. The people with priority service on their handsets can get through. And so we're very excited to be part of that project. We actually are just in the beginnings of putting together a um, token sale. Um, we're in the midst of our pre-sale and a token sale in the market to support a cybersecurity coin or token that that really performs this secure authentication model and proof the device is in a known condition. Um, and so we're very excited about that. I think we'll, you know, it's a it's a path for us to go and support multi-factor authentication for all the online exchanges and wallets that are in the marketplace. We already have the technology working with many of the large commercial sites like Google and Gmail and Dropbox and Reddit and, and those kinds of things all support a standard model for two-factor authentication, and we support those standards. Um, what about um, iOS not yet in commercial distribution? iOS, we're kind of okay. stuck. Um, we can support some software protection models in the iOS device, but we're really focused on turning on the hardware. Um, we know there have been rumors that, that Apple's going to open their platform up some, but we haven't seen that yet. So uh, today we support uh, Android, and then we're also broadly supporting the, um, we, we will support the Intel platform as well as that technology, as, as we have the resources to port our capabilities to that technology. Do you think you could um, piggyback on a SIM, SIM chip? I'm not sure if iOS phones use any of that, but is there any yeah, other Apple way that is you very could, restrictive. Um, Apple's very restrictive on how you could do that. Um, there's no question if we could put a micro SD in an iOS phone, we could support that, but they don't do that anymore. So Apple has the capability in the chipset. They use it internally. Um, they'll have to decide uh, that providing a better, more secure, more open experience for authentication is in Apple's interest. And, uh, you know, Apple's a closed ecosystem. If Apple doesn't want to play with third-party developers, it's not Rivet specifically, it's anybody in this space.
Yeah, understood. All right, very good. So you're in pre-sale for your token. It's coming up. What's it going to be called? The Rivets token? or what's it um, It's going to be called RVT for Rivet. Um, a Rivet is a kind of fun thing. It's uh, A Rivet's how you, fat, you you connect to similar materials like leather and stainless steel are riveted together. And, and when you break a rivet, um, you don't destroy the underlying materials. You can put a new rivet in. And every rivet's unique because when you deform the rivet, it's unique in its characteristics. So it's a unique way to bind to similar materials. Okay. And what's what's ahead for the uh, again for the next year or so with the development of rivets? You know, after the token sale, what would the what are you going yeah, to raise the money you'll for? You'll see our first. Yeah, you'll see our first products in the marketplace in the two-factor authentication space. Um, and so sure. both on cloud services and in the blockchain environment. And um, uh, and you'll also see launch of our developer toolkit so that we can have third-party application developers directly integrate this. And so we see in time that really the third-party applications will drive adoption of these te- technologies in the market um, because you just want this built in. And whether it's... Um, providing stronger, secure messaging, um, providing protection of keys for um, transactions, providing a better authentication model. We think that an app developer wants to do this because they'll end up with a more valuable relationship with their subscriber because they can deliver more valuable content. Well, very good. So um, how can listeners get a hold of Rivets and uh, ask questions, maybe talk to you about you know, joint ventures or projects. What's the best way for sure. to contact you? Um, so, so rivets.com is our website. So R I V E T Z.com. Uh, and if you're interested in any aspects of what we're doing in a token sale, um, you can go to rivets.com and there's a button at the top of the screen that says um, our token sale and it'll take you to rivets international or rivets intl.com uh, who's actually running the token sale. And, uh, uh, and our white papers there and information on uh, how to join the sale if you're interested. Well, great. Well, thanks for the riveting interview. No pun intended. You're welcome. Thank you. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.